Welcome to the Red Caps Podcast, a podcast where we dip our caps into the blood of our listeners and ramble on about old school games. Today's episode, we are joined by a fantastic artist and a blogger named Nicholas from Paths Peculiar. As you know, no mortal can outrun a red cap, so sit back, listen, and I hope you enjoy. Nicholas, thanks very much for coming onto the show. Thank you for having me. You get to be the first guinea pig of people that I try to interview on here. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I found you ages ago. Um, you had done an illustration showing all the different weapons um, from D&D. And yes. I thought that was just an amazing little piece of art. Uh, I actually used it in one game and, and held it up and told people, this is what you can choose from. Uh, <laughs> and it was Like a menu. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, was, it was like the shopkeep had a little display unit up of everything yeah. they offered. And what caused me to reach out to you, um, I was reading through on Facebook and came across a, a link you had put up to a post you had made uh, about why the bag of holding is bad for D&D. And I read through it and I found myself nodding along with uh, almost everything you were saying as we were going through it. And then I went back and looked at the comments on, on said Facebook post. And I think I had found a whole different group of people that just, just couldn't wrap their head around it for some reason and seemed very upset over your concept on it. Before we get to their response, though, do you want to give a brief explanation of, of why you think the bad, bag of holding is bad for D&D? Yeah, uh, and and yeah, people got really, really, really mad about it. Uh, or some people did. Uh, the vocal people got really mad. Uh, I actually got quite a lot of people who, just like you, agreed with me. So, uh, but I mean, um, my, I think my, my thinking behind that article because I, I have been pondering the bag of holding for for quite a long time. I mean, I played. D&D for 20 years or so and before that I played other, other games and the bag of holding has always been around I think and and it's kind of the, the staple magic item in many campaigns. It's one of the first items many groups kind of try to get or try to buy because it makes life a lot easier for them and I mean I've always taken it for granted that this is something you should have in D&D um, but then I got thinking and when I started to kind of dissect D and D, and especially old school D and D, um, so so like BX and and the early versions, uh, it's D and D at its core, at least to me, is an expedition style type of adventuring game, where you gather up your 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 uh, followers or your comrades, and you go out on, on an expedition into the wilderness or into the underdark or into the deserted castle, whatever it might be. And to me, I'm a guy who likes to go on expeditions myself. I, uh, I was in the military for many, many years, and, and I still enjoy uh, hiking and you know going out to nature and everything. And a big part of expeditions is preparing for expeditions. So uh, and, and that's basically making choices. D&D is a game of making choices. And the, the, the choices start even before you go to the dungeon or, or if, uh, before you go to the dark forest. Uh, you have to sit down and, first of all, try to figure out where are we going and, and what can we possibly encounter there. So we need to prepare in different ways. And this can be everything from you know, deciding what, what spells should a magic user uh, memorize before heading out, 
but also I think that um, equipment is a big thing. So when you go on expedition, you have to make decisions. How much food do we need to bring? How much uh, torches do we need to bring in order to, to be able to, to um, go through a dark dungeon? Uh, do we need rope? Do we need um, climbing equipment? Whatever it might be. And the problem I've come to realize that the bag of holding um, brings to the game is that it takes away the need for prioritizing. Uh, basically, if you have a bag of holding, you can bring as many torches as you want. You can bring as much rope, uh, climbing equipment, water, food, everything. So you never really have to do a choice. Uh, you can buy everything you want from the store and just mash it into the bag of holding. Some people will probably protest against this and say it, it, it all, all, only has a thousand pound limit. Yeah, sure. But, but still, basically what it does, it, it takes away the need for prioritization, it takes away choice from, uh, from the characters or from the players. So if you can bring anything you might possibly need, then what's the, uh, what's the fun in planning an expedition? That, that's my main gripe, I would say, with the bag of holding. I didn't realize that I actually thought this until very recently, and that's, that's why I, I, I wrote the blog post. So yeah. Yeah. I. I, I agree. The um, for me the the biggest thing that I kind of took away from the bag of holding, as far as why I don't typically hand it out, is less about for me it's less about the choice of what they make at the at the start of the expedition, and I'll talk about why that's a little bit less for me uh, given a house rule that I like to use. But for me it was it was the bag of holding completely negates having to make choices in the dungeon regarding yeah. what what items I'm going to haul back out. Uh, it really seems like the bag of holding was invented to avoid encumbrance problems. And I think that while tracking encumbrance, uh, the way it's typically done, rules as written, uh, can be a little bit tedious, can be a little bit boring, mm -hmm. especially uh, you know if, if you've got a group of people who are new to it, and they're, yeah. they're trying to balance out this sort of thing. But I, I think that the boring resource tracking really adds to tension in the game. And if you take mm -hmm. that completely away, you've removed you've removed a, a core part of the decision-making process. Uh, you, you mentioned in the town, but I, like I said, I think it's a core decision-making process that happens in the dungeon itself. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, again, if we take torches for an example, uh, I, I can understand why someone or why you would find counting torches uh, a bit tedious and boring. But if you, I mean, if you phrase it differently, so, if you have 10 torches, uh, that means we have uh, a finite amount of light. Uh, after a while, the lights will go out and then we're toast. Um, that's a much more exciting and interesting dilemma, I think, to, to consider when you go into a, to a dungeon. Do we press on for a bit more and risk running out of torches? Because we know if we run out, out of torches, then, then we're toast. Um, so yes, if, if you only see uh resource management as a type of administration then yes it's boring but if you weave it into the narrative and into the challenge of the game then i think it can be a lot of fun counting rations might not be the most interesting thing and i agree with you to, to some extent that the rules as written um, for encumbrance might not be that sexy and i don't think that you necessarily have to play by those rules but you i, I think that you should have encumbrance as a thing in your game whether it would, should be super detailed uh, or 
a more abstract approach is, I mean, that's up to your own style. But, but again, the bag of holding removes basically encumbrance from the game. And I think that that's a mistake. I think you're, you're losing out parts of, of what makes D&D D&D. Yeah, I agree completely. The, the way I house rule it, I'll, I'll, I'll spin out my, my house rule for encumbrance and, and uh, see, if, see if this would be something that makes your, your hair stand up or if you're like, oh, that <laughs> makes sense. So for me, um, I change two things. One, I go to a slot-based um, uh, inventory tracking me uh, method. Yep. So I take strength, I, I take, sorry, uh, everybody gets 10 slots and then you apply your strength modifier to it. So if you've got a minus one, you've got nine slots. If you've got a plus two, you've got 12 slots. Um, and in those slots, uh, they're divided up into halves. So you can have, uh, if you have torches, for instance, and you can have, hold multiple torches in your hand, those would fit into a half slot. And then the other thing I have uh, with regards to inventory and, and encumbrance is rather than make, make a, my players spend a ton of time in town at the shop um, going dramatically over your beautiful illustration of what they should <laughs> what they should bring or or some of the other books that we have uh for things that they can buy i let them buy what what i call supply um i i yeah. believe i stole this from five torches deep a, a a different um 5e modification game but uh the idea of supply is they buy it it's got a you know it's it fills up slots but it's something that they can convert they can use a turn to convert that supply to whatever they need when they're in the dungeon so mm. i've got i've got this mythical thing called supply and if i decide i need ball bearings i can convert one of my supply to ball bearings um and the same thing with torches or food or what have you so they still have to acquire those things but they can acquire them while they're in the, the dungeon with the idea that supply indicates that they are they are intelligent uh, folks that probably did all that planning back in town yeah. and they're just activating it now while they're in the dungeon um and, and that's that's how that seems to have worked pretty well it, it allows them to still come up with creative solutions like nothing, yeah. nothing is worse than whenever you see a player go, oh man, if I only had this, I could have done something really cool. Well, I want them to do yeah. the thing that's really cool. So uh, it gives them a chance to, to do it. Um, but there's still some constraints on them where, you know, there is a, there is a finite supply of supply that they have. Yeah. No, I think it's perfect sense. Um, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and I, I don't think that abstraction, because I mean, that, that's an example of abstracting uh, and, and removing some detail. I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's still about resource management. Uh, some people will prefer the mo more detailed approach. Um, for example, I, I can see the charm in some types of, of, I don't know, equipment that should probably not go into the supplies category. So for example, did we bring holy water uh, because we're facing a lot of undeads? Uh, I, I think those kind of detailed uh, tools that you would perhaps not always have in your supplies make sense not to have um, abstracted because this also ties into, I mean, a lot of D&D adventures, you have, uh, you have a part of the adventure where you actually are looking for information about the place you're going to. You're rolling on rumors tables and stuff like that. I think that's part of the game as well. So if the players are doing proper research, they should probably have a better chance at the dungeon because they, they will equip accordingly to that research. So while, while I think abstraction absolutely works, um, and I love the slot uh, system as well, I think that uh, Lamentations to the Flame Princess is a BX clone that uses that one. I, I think that that's a, a really nice approach, um, probably something I would absolutely be happy to use when I play. 
Um, but again, some specialized equipment should be removed from the, the abstract rules about um, supplies, I think. Yeah, the, when we do it, the way I run it, it's uh, you can't have any magical potions or mm. holy water would fall into that. Uh, weapons can't be used for supply. It's basically all yeah. the mundane items, you know, your rope, your torches, uh, spikes, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, is what is what they can convert the supply into, for exactly that same reason. Um, you know, if you if you if you got a rumor that there's undead, you may want to go get your own holy water for that. Um, yeah, I completely agree with you there. Yeah. Um, why do you think when you when you put this up, like you said, there was a lot of folks like myself that were nodding along, but there's a lot of people that were they almost seem to have a gut reaction against it. Do you think it's it's more that they were uh, consciously thinking of, well, I like my bag of holding, it's 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 amazing. Or what what do you think actually brought that on? Is it is there a whole group of people that just want to have the narrative side and only the narrative side of D and D? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there are as many styles of D and D as its players, and and to be perfectly honest, I mean, how I wrote the blog post it is slightly. Uh, provocative i guess uh, people were accusing me of a clickbait article uh, a clickbait uh, heading and i mean um, they're not wrong uh, but but what what i think they do is they, they read it and basically what they read is me telling them that they're, they're playing the wrong way and no no one wants to hear that um, and i mean yeah perhaps i'm, I'm saying they're playing it the wrong way i'm i'm not really that invested it's not like i'm annoyed about how anyone else plays the game. I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is, is telling people this is how I enjoy to play the game. Uh, some people will interpret that, that I'm attacking their play style, uh, which, I mean, you know how the internet is. Pe people get angry for, for small stuff. I mean, we're, we're still talking about the nerd game for nerds. Uh, I mean, it's not a big thing that people tell each other how they want to play the game, but, but it's going to annoy people. and. Uh, I didn't take that too seriously, to be honest. Um, I think it's, uh, it's it's a bit of banter, absolutely, but but it's all in good fun, I think. So, uh, but yeah, some people got angry, and you bring up something about the story, and I, I've I've read a, a lot of good blog posts and Twitter threads uh, lately regarding story in D and D, uh, and it feels like there's a division between 5e players and old school players that a lot of, of the people who enjoyed the newer editions of the game they're very focused on the story and they want to tell a story uh, while perhaps old school old school um, uh, gamers or, or people who prefer the older versions uh, they tend to think more about the game as a game that has a narrative but a narrative isn't necessarily a story um, a story certainly consists of a narrative, but the way I think myself and many other um, old school gamers are more interested in the narrative within the kind of framework of the game. So the, the story in itself isn't that important. Uh, I think a lot of us are happy to just drop the, the, the characters in the world and see what they do. Uh, we will provide them with narratives, we'll provide them with some background and things to, to explore, but not necessarily an overarching story. And I don't think we, uh, we put as much emphasis on the characters. Uh, when I read a lot of like uh, 5e threads or, or posts on Facebook, a lot of people seem to 
to invest really heavily in their characters. Uh, I think this is less important to me and other players like me. Uh, the characters uh, are, of course, I mean, they're interesting. That's why we play role-playing games. But I don't spend two days thinking about a new character. I mean, I create the character, and then we'll see what happens. And, and I kind of make it up as we go. So that character evolves through gaming with it, not by thinking too much about it beforehand. Yeah, I think there, there was a big shift um, with 5e, partly because of how yeah. uh, the way it became popular um, was in part uh, due to more live uh, recordings and streaming of yeah. games, and it became a performative um, game, less so than what it was before. So uh, you see a lot more people seeing the performance and they see the um, the deep stories that are getting told, and that's what they mm. get, get drawn to. Uh, and it's 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 almost like a TV show. Um, nobody wants to yeah. see the main characters of their favorite TV sh show die. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's where people approach Five E now, um, which is perfectly fine. It's if that's the fun they want to have. I think that there's probably games that are better suited to having long form stories like that than D and D is. Um, but yeah. obviously, it's working in Five E. It's pop more popular than ever. But like you, I I prefer more. Uh, more where the game is more about the world that the, the characters are in and how they overcome challenges. And then we find mm. out stuff about those characters as they go through said challenges. Um, yeah. Is, is kind of how I prefer it. But um, when I was going through, looking through your blog and what have you, I had a something popped up that I had a question about. Can you tell me, and I'm going to terribly uh, butcher this, this pronunciation, Drakkar mm. Osh Demore, the Swedish uh, RPG that you had mentioned on, on your yeah Can you yeah tell me a little bit about that? I've never heard anything about it at all yeah certainly I, and I understand it it's hard to, to, to pronounce it it's called Drakar and uh, Drakar och Demoner it's uh, translated to to English it would be dragons and demons um, and this was the the big fantasy role-playing game in Sweden while I was growing up um, and uh, it was probably the reason why Dungeons and Dragons never really was big when I was a teenager. So this game came in 1982, I think, in Sweden. So they were kind of pioneers, the guys who started up. Uh, obviously, they were influenced by, by Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but the game is actually quite different. It's, it has a uh, um, completely different um, rule, rule set. It's, it's based on the basic role-playing um, uh, rules from um, I don't know was it RuneQuest who started with that one? It's like the percent. I, I don't know stuff. exactly, but yeah. So so it was BRP based, um, and before D and D managed to get a foothold in Sweden, these guys released the the game and it it became immensely popular. Uh, so it was the, the big game in Sweden all through the 80s when the hobby started to become popular. So basically when I was a uh, young kid and, and early teens, uh, early teenager, uh, this was the game everyone was playing. This one or, or a, a science fiction variant of it. Um, but other than that, uh, other than the rules, I mean, it's pretty basic standard fantasy D&D sword and sorcery kind of thing. So it's, it's not in any way... Um, very different than other fantasy games. It just was it was the big game uh, when my generation was growing up. Then it developed in the um, in the late nineties into a more 
uh, Gonzo-style game called uh, Chronopia. It was about a big fantasy city with uh, elves uh, riding ostriches and uh, really, really <laughs> strange stuff. It was really creative, actually, really cool. Uh, and then in the early 2000s, um, the brand was picked up by a company called Riot Mines in Sweden, and they went back to the roots and they added a lot of like Norse mythology to it. So nowadays it's more of a northern fantasy um, thing. Uh, it's not as popular anymore, I think, um, but still it's, it's one of the big pillars of the um, tabletop uh, hobby in Sweden. And, and a lot of us grew up with it. So, yeah. Well, that's very cool. I'll see if I can. Do you know if they ever made a uh, English translation of it? Yeah, the latest uh, editions uh, have uh, have English versions of it. So, so it should be available also in English, I think. All right, excellent. I'll take a look, and uh, if I find any links, I'll put them in the show notes so other folks can yeah. find it too. Um, I'm always interested to see how the game, uh, well, the, the whole hobby as a whole kind of changed a little bit depending on what region uh, you were in and, and where you first discovered it. So um, I'm curious to see some more of that game. Yeah. Before we, before we wrap up, um, where can people find you, and is there any projects that you're working on right now? You're, is there... Any big art projects you're working? Because I, I love the the line art that you do. It's it's fantastic. The maps and the the various illustrations. But is there is there a spot where people can find a lot of that? Or uh, yeah, absolutely. I have my my um, uh, Instagram account is probably the most active channel, uh, but also Twitter. Uh, I guess you can put links in the descriptions. But it's paths peculiar on both uh, Twitter and, and Instagram. Uh, then I have a, my website. Um, can put the URL in, in the description as well, uh, where there's a lot of free stuff um, for personal use. So people can download maps and you know dungeon maps, world maps, uh, weapon illustrations, or what have you. Uh, right now, I'm working on, on a really big project. It's it's for um, Severed Books or um, in in the US. Uh, it's a Philly-based uh, game studio. They're releasing um, an adventure, a five E adventure. Uh, that is based on the Philly punk rock band, The Dead Milkman. Uh, yeah. So it's a really, really cool project. Um, and I'm doing the maps for that one. I'm, I have been working a lot on it. So it's, it's, there's going to be a lot of maps, a lot of big maps in that one, uh, and some extra stuff for Kickstarter backers. Um, it's, it's on pre-order now, I think, as well. So, so people who missed the, the Kickstarter can, can probably check that out. Um, and that's going to take me... Well, at least until mid-January or something. I have a small break planned uh, in in um, November where I'm going to do a little bit of my own stuff on the side. Uh, because when you're working on big commissions, sometimes you need to take a break from it and just do some personal stuff as well. So, But uh, yeah, that, that's the, the big project for me right now. Awesome. Well, again, thanks very much. And folks, this is going to wrap up this episode of the Red Caps podcast. I hope you enjoyed, listened, and learned something. And like I said, I will put a lot of links down in the description. Uh, there's a bunch of things that you can find out, uh, both about Nicholas and, and his amazing work, and hopefully about some some other games that we can uh, we can chat about in the future. I'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to head over to anchor.fm slash the Red Caps, you can leave me a voicemail or say hi on Twitter or Facebook at the Red Caps Net. If you have Discord, there is a link going to be in the description that you can join our Discord server and we can meet up for some games at some point. Until then, remember, never let your cap dry out. Stay safe, have fun. We'll talk again soon. Take care.